Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply the chels is backed for the season by ladbrooks we are backed by Labrooks. Go to bet.chelseapodcast.net for exclusive specials and promotions that we have got you. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Chels. We played without passion. We set up negatively. We were non-competitive. Eden Hazard said I could have played for three hours and still not touched the ball. It was a crime against football. These are all the things that have been levelled against the lovely Blue Boys. And here to discuss whether we were criminals or not, we have the mighty Liam Toomey from ESPN. Pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me. Lovely to have you back here. And we've got a friend of yours in the studio who you haven't seen for quite a while because he's been off growing his beard and having pleurisy. Um, Liam's a friend of mine. Sorry? Liam's a friend of mine. Oh, here we go. It's all so pedantic. It is. It's Gary Garbled Hayes. He's here again. I hope you're going to be just like your techs over the weekend. Anyway, moving on. Former journalist, Gary Hayes. (laughs) Former person. Former person. <laughs> you're getting it today. Oh, well, now you're going to start coughing all over. How is your pleurisy? I mean, Nearly pleurisy, gone. didn't that go out with the plague? I know, when they told, I hadn't even heard of Essex, it. Essex, isn't it? Was, it's I thought full it was very it. Dickensian. Yeah. I thought I should be in, like, Great Expectations or something. You'll be getting needed, rickets next. I'd, I'd, I just <laughs> needed someone like Magwitch to knock on my door. Well, he probably lives next door to you anyway, doesn't Did he? Where you great live? Expectations for GCSE. And for my degree. <laughs> what, if you want to know how many times Jaggers washes his hands with soap, I can tell you. How many? Well, I'll save that for podcast extras. Oh, in other words, you're full of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you did one book for your whole life. That's how it is. Two. Okay. Two. What was the other one? The tiger that came to tea. Oh, okay. And what did the tiger have for tea? Tea. Tea. Okay, just tea. No biscuits. And a scone. And a scone. Lovely. A tiger scone. It's very defensive. This is better than the football, isn't it? Of course it is. We're trying to keep this going as long as possible, let me tell you. How to get a degree in literature. Yeah, exactly. Have you got a degree in literature? Just about. Really? Yeah. Yeah, what, what, What kind have you got? 
A degree? Yeah, but what kind? Oh, I got a first. A first. A oh, of course degree. I did. <laughs> Where did you buy it? Uh, degrees.com. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. And that is in actual <laughs> English literature. Of course it is. And, well, part of it was... Or one just of my, great expectations. No, one, one, of my, um, one of my modules was Icelandic literature as well. So I majored in English literature and did Icelandic literature on the side. See, already people are switching yeah. off in their droves here. And but, you know, it helps me out a lot. And uh, when I did interviews with Ida Johnson, we spoke fluently about the Icelandic literary heritage. And then... Listery heritage. <laughs> literary. Okay. Yes. And then uh, when I did an interview with the uh, lead actor from the Borg McEnroe movie, we spoke about this book called The Owl Saga and how the Borg McEnroe story sort of uh, mirrored what happens in that. Excellent. Well, I like the Icelandic sagas. I think they're, they're quite excellent. An the Nordic sagas movie. in general. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. The Vinland sagas are interesting as well because Vinland's actually America, and they're writing about that in twelve hundred, okay. way before Wait. any other Europeans settled there. There you go. So mm. you, you heard it here first. Now waking Andy up. You're here, Mister Saunders. I, I'm. I'm actually sorry. I was Andy. depressed before I came in, and now I'm looking at the state of who they let into higher education. <laughs> I'm almost suicidal. Didn't my, does, does my literary knowledge astound you? It's Come the on. fact that you've got a degree astounds me. <laughs> well, hold on, you've got a, something in acting, <coughs> haven't you? I've got a certificate in acting. A certificate in acting. GCSE in acting. What have you got, Liam? What did you do your degree in, Liam? Uh, ancient history. Ancient history. Well, that's too oh, many jokes. Oh, oh, too many on. jokes. Spinning out on that there one. There we go. Ancient history. Specialising in the Chelsea glory did the books crumble? Did the books crumble while you were reading them and things? <laughs> so, you know. anyway, did you get a degree, Kerry? What? Did no, you I, I, I left. You went to an expensive private school and you didn't get a degree. Well, I went to Manchester University and had a really great time and then Ooh, felt quite ill. Um, eh? That'd be interesting. Eh? When was that, the 80s? Uh, uh, late 70s. Oh. So she so just missed Kermode and... Steve Coogan and all that. Well, I guess so because I never yeah. knew I'd missed. You him. never went, did you? Really? No, I did. I went for I went for a year. Oh, okay. And um, I just uh, ended up leaving. Okay. I was very good at. I passed all my exams. So you're the least qualified person around this table, and yet somehow the most erudite and intelligent. <laughs> Figure it out. Anyway, so um, <coughs> yeah, I mean we've we've heard some stuff. We are the liberal elite, aren't we? We are. We are <laughs> talking about football. Yeah, go on. Yes. Pass the sandwiches. <laughs> Pass the sandwiches. Where should we start? I mean, let's just start with with the teams. Let, you know, I'm sure you're going to read them out, etched in our minds. Well, does anybody want to put any context around this game first before uh, we go straight into it? I mean, what were we thinking? Uh, I mean, Liam, you and I went to the game. What were you thinking on the long journey up to Manchester, which is always a little bit further than you think it is? But um, were you thinking, I'm coming up, managing my expectations. We're going to get battered did you go up full of the joys of spring thinking <laughs> this is the turning point this is when we demonstrate what uh, an elite unit we are what, what were you thinking i certainly wasn't going up filled with the temperatures of spring no um, it was chilly wasn't it yeah uh i felt that chelsea were in a really bad position going in uh, not not just after the watford and bournemouth defeats but particularly after that united loss which was a killer you're going to probably the best team in europe right now in a situation where you need to win to kind of keep any hope alive of the of the top four and I think going into it with that mindset made what happened on the pitch all the more all the more surreal because Chelsea did need a win from Mm. that game regardless of what anyone maybe on the pitch or on the touchline may have thought yeah I I think it's interesting I mean why I was asking about the team was because it was the team that he picked that sort of I guess dictated tactics to an extent because it wasn't actually 
the straightforward, you know, false nine. Well, I mean, it, it, it yeah. was actually a fake false nine. Well, you know, and let's be honest, N'Golo Kante had fallen ill before the game. We subsequently found out that he fainted in the dressing room, which freaked a few people out. Well, I think that was the formation. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, so essentially Danny Drinkwater came in. wasn't very funny. Um, <laughs> I know you were looking for a laugh there. It wasn't <laughs> I got funny. one from Gary, did you, get, did you laugh at that? I'm on the same level. Yeah. You laughed at his Elvis Presley impression earlier. <laughs> yeah, because it was so bad. Um, <laughs> I've lost my thread now. Um, so, so essentially what he did is he, he, he picked almost the, the same uh, team as he picked against Barcelona on the 20th of February. He bought Danny Drinkwater in instead of Kante. So Courtois in goal, a back three of Aspilicueta, Christensen and Rudiger, Moses and Alonso as the full-backs, the wing-backs, Fabregas and Drinkwater in the middle, and then that, that front three with William, Pedro and Hazard as the so-called false nine. That yeah. was the team, with, yeah. um, with a couple of strikers on the bench. But were you surprised, in the first few minutes, I guess what was interesting was, it wasn't just a false nine, it was Hazard stuck up on his own, with absolutely, I mean, we had two rigid banks of five and four, and and then Hazard was off away. I mean, his, I thought his quote where he said, you know, I could have played for three hours and still not touched the ball. And then he said, I touched the ball three times in the whole game. Um, well, it's not true. No, it's not. It was, but he's kind of I'm sure he felt that way, though. Yeah, but I also think that the, the way that people have interpreted that quote uh, as a kind of, you know, I mean, certain journalists going, Hazard slams Conte. You know, I, I think he's just basically saying that, you know, it is what it is. You know, I could have played for three hours and, you know, it, just the way, the way the game went, the situation, you know, I, I could. I, you know, but it's a bit like saying we could have played all night and we, could, and we, and we wouldn't have scored. Mm. It doesn't mean you're slamming anybody. It just I means that's was. the situation. Like, oh, no, he, he's, an inte- he he's an intelligent guy, and he knows full well what he's saying. And he comes out and says that, and he, he knows what the reaction is going to be. And I think it's interesting that really, I don't get that. No, I, 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 he does know what he's doing. He, he knows what he's saying. And when you speak to him, he's a guy who knows full well the media game. And it'll be interesting. Were you in the mix zone? I wasn't, no. Because I, I thought it was interesting that he, he said that to Belgian media, and I, mm. but might, I wasn't sure if he stopped for Simon or anyone else. No, he didn't. He stopped for the Belgian guys. And okay. apparently I was, I was told by people who were in the mix zone that he was his usual kind of, at least outwardly, his usual kind of smiling, mischievous self. Um, but then obviously his quotes gave a rather different story. I think there's probably two layers to what he said. I think certainly part of it was a shot of Conte a shot at Conte particularly when you take it in the context of what he said after the Barcelona game yeah, when yeah, yeah. more or less the same game plan actually worked better because they managed to beat the press a little bit more they couldn't beat City's press at all um, so Hazard actually got into the game but even after that game he was like I prefer to be on the wing it's my natural habitat you know yeah, don't yeah. This isn't really my role, and if it was up to me, I wouldn't be playing it. I but the other, the other layer, sorry, just to say, the other layer to it is he was also criticising the execution of the game plan yeah. because Chelsea were could not have been worse at getting the ball Appalling. to him, even when they had opportunities to to play passes. You know, Fabregas was floating passes twenty yards over his head. Which Pedro, is I think so Pedro unlike had him. Six, Pedro didn't six opportunities yeah. to pass the ball to him and, and failed on every one. I can't remember him completing a single pass. Look, I, I, I think my point is that yes, I, I would imagine there's some some frustration there from Hazard, but you know this this kind of slamming Conte thing that we've put on, you know, throwing his toys out of his pram, getting really angry at the situation. I think it's frustration. I think it's no more than that, and I think that's acceptable. Let me just say from the outset, we were pathetic. 
I am not an apologist for that performance at all, at all. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to be positive this season and find positives wherever I can. There's very little to pull out of this game. So I want to lay that before I go on to say anything else and say it was an awful, pathetic display. It was a tactical horror show. It was executed very poorly you know essentially it it was an embarrassing display but I think we've got to if we can try and be measured about the um, the impact of the game and what it means and and what we can read into it and I've read so much nonsense over the last couple of days from people um, particularly on social media about what this means for the club about what we should do with Conte about what we should do with certain players and this kind of hysterical bedwetting you know it's just it doesn't solve anything I mean, I don't want to rant because I know that it's it's something that irritates me when when everybody else does it. So, so I'll shut up. But I'm sure we'll come on to some of those things. But you know, okay. we'll do uh, it. you know, I mean, there there's a there's a couple of things, and and maybe we should start with Conte. You know, um, Alonso came out with an interesting quote where he said, "I think it's an attitude problem," which I thought was uh, an interesting thing. It's a very vague thing to say, but I wonder. I have I have a slight concern that when Conte keeps going on about we don't have the squad where how we don't have the players and he did this again on Friday I think it was in his press conference he was moaning about it does there not come a point where a group of players keep go our manager's saying we're not good enough that actually perhaps it starts having a negative effect on what you've already got there I mean what do you think Liam well I think um I think the more damaging aspect is not necessarily what it does to players' confidence. It's the impression that it creates that Conte is simply just crafting the narrative of his own departure and that he's just ticking off the days until he leaves. Because that's certainly what it sounded like over the last few weeks. You know, he I understood in January why he may be up the rhetoric because he was trying to put pressure on the club to, to sign players. And in the end, he kind of got what he wanted, but not before they'd lost to Watford and uh, Bournemouth and were well on the way to losing to Watford but I don't understand what he's been doing since which is just continuing down this negative path he's been taking every opportunity in every press conference to say oh the club's got to show me that they share the same ambition you know for the marriage to continue we all have to be on the same page and all this stuff and that's fine he's, he's making his point upwards but he's not considering necessarily the consequences it's having on the, on the players below him and I don't think it's confidence but I do think it's maybe making them think that this guy's not in this with us. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's shown on the pitch. Yeah. I think I think I think I think Liam's picked up on something there about the narrative. I do think it's a bit of a false narrative and I think this manager as lightning rod, you know, for all the ills at the club is a false narrative and I think that actually, you know, if we had the time we could talk about some of the systemic problems in the club and about the philosophy of the well, club. It's, it's never and, one thing, is and, it? Well, exactly, and, and who we are as a club. You know, we we seem to be a boom and bust, highs and low, peaks and trough club at the moment where we will win trophies and then we will go through, you know, endless periods of transition and one of the reasons for that is how we treat our managers or how we view our managers. We almost view our managers as consultants. It's like they come in in, they get given a brief to you know to to you know to to navigate a team through a certain period, and then at the end of their consultancy contract, if they haven't you know fulfilled their their particular brief, they're asked to leave, and a, and a new consultant comes in. We're not interested in building managerial dynasties. We're not we're not we're not that club. Um, and I think that that when a club takes the managerial t- uh, tenure, um, it, it are so distanced from that tenure when it when it isn't important to them, it's very difficult for the manager to feel 
part of taking some responsibility or taking some ownership for it. And what happens is they end up being negative. And it's not the first time we've seen that with Chelsea managers. Well, it's, it, it's reminiscent of, of Jose in his first spell when... Absolutely. He was just pushing and pushing and pushing every transfer window. And then it resulted in Ben Haim, Steve Sidwell, Claudio Pizarro and uh, Boularouz that one summer. Oh, Boularouz, I always forget out of the magic <laughs> The cannibal. Yeah, I, I, think, yeah. I think it was in the same summer. But, you know, and he got and, turned over in that Champions League game and we hardly ever saw him again. And it, it just, it, no, he was brilliant in the Champions League game against, uh, against Ronaldinho. Wasn't well, he? he had one good game and one very bad yeah. game well, against yeah, Ronaldinho. But, the very, but the very good game was very good. <laughs> and we thought he's the new, you know. But that, yeah. that, that period at, at Chelsea with, with Jose, there was that conflict. But, and this is the difference between Chelsea then and Chelsea now is that Peter Kenyon was that buffer between Jose and the owners or the owner and the people that advise the owner. Whereas now you're looking, you think, who is that buffer between the manager? Maybe it's Emanalo before. It was Emanalo before. And, and, and he started crumbling since he's gone. But you look and you think, who's around now to, you know... Steve Clark acted that role up very importantly, I think. You know, but for a while yeah, yeah, being, but you think, like, who, who's around at the club now that there's this vacuum of... Not so much power, but a vacuum of well, knowledge no connect- and strategy. There's no connection between upstairs yeah. and downstairs, and there's no football mind who is not involved with the team on a day-to-day basis, which is what you need now. Because what know? you need is you need a football mind that is... And I'm not saying Peter Kenyon was a football mind in the way that Emanalo was, because Emanalo was a former player, and, but he worked at Manchester United. He understood he the way... He was a CEO, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he yeah. understood the way elite football clubs worked, and he dragged Chelsea up. He had a good, he had the balance of of, of commercial and creative and yeah and, and he understood and, you know yeah. allowing Ferguson he had a very to, strong uh, aftershave but allowing Ferguson to do his work and you know be, being that buffer between the board and obviously it's a different relationship with Bramovich and managers but still he understood that and there was a, a, a relative stability there and he really worked to keep Jose would have probably been gone a lot sooner than he, than he was had Kenny you know Kenny not been around and now you look at it now and you know I was on here a couple of weeks ago bemoaning the fact that everyone's calling that you know it's the, the fall of the Roman Empire now and you look at it and it is the the lonely death of Chelsea Football Club now the way it's going I I, not I not yet that that will come next Wednesday it's you know what do you mean by that though I mean that's right. an easy hyper- no 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 it's not it's not, it's not it's not it's not don't did, don't did, don't take half an hour no, no, to explain no, it no <laughs> this, this is my reasoning right so. Times are changing. Bob Dylan's song, The Lonely Death of uh, Hattie Carroll, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, now's not the time for your tears. Now's no, no, not the time for tears. No, 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 no. Now, <laughs> when, next, when, next Wednesday, next Wednesday is when you're going to see whether Barcelona. it is or not. Because Chelsea was so turgid on Sunday. They were so weak that they lost that game before they even went out. You know, the way they turned up, the negative tactics, 72 minutes in, and you've seen the gif everywhere. Fabregas just stood next to David Silva going, go on then, pass the ball. I'm not going to pressure you, I'm just going to stand here. And then Silva passes the ball to Zinchenko, and then he's ping-pong between players, and no one's pressing, no one cares. No one cares at all. And the game plan worked against Barcelona because there was more application and a different attitude, which Alonso talks about. If they go to Barcelona and play the same way as they did on Sunday, that's it. What do you mean? But what do you mean by that? That's an easy media it's narrative. Not, it's no, not, no, it's not stop media talking narrative. over me for a second and just listen, right? It's like, no, it's important because I'm sick to death of this. Like, sack the manager. It's the end of the club. People saying it's the worst performance for 40 years. No, it's not. It's not even the worst performance this month. I was at Watford. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I saw us lose 7-0 to Nottingham Forest. Don't talk bollocks, right? No. And listen to me, right? It's like, you know, you come out with this stuff of like, it's the slow death of Chelsea Football Club. What do you actually mean by that? It is now because Chelsea football club as we know it 
under Jose, starting in 2004, maybe a little bit of Ranieri when you think about the, the Champions League quarterfinal against Arsenal, there's a bit of metal in there. And this is something I've written about a lot and I've spoken about a lot, that Chelsea, they sort of bucked the trend in what they were meant to be. That They're this team of million, a billionaire owner. There's all this money being thrown. They're meant to be this team of, you know... Um, without any substance and they always had it and suddenly that substance isn't there anymore and I'm not pushing the media narrative because I hate I, I was in here two three weeks ago slagging off that media narrative but now you see it and you see that performance on Sunday that isn't just a performance in isolation this is something that's been building up you're at Watford you saw how bad Watford was okay you've seen how bad Bournemouth was this is getting worse and worse and worse and this just takes you back to Gus Hiddink two years ago when Gus took in after um, Jose went the, the second time that was so bad and that team stumbled into 10th place on 50 points and that performance on Sunday Sunday, you know that that season when City came to Stamford Bridge and Aguero got the hat trick. What's the score like five one or something? But no, just take, it was just, just appalling. To stop you there for a second, right? You said the slow death of Chelsea football, and club. that's what you're seeing. What? But what does it mean? I mean what, what you're seeing is that the club, is, no, the, the, club, the club as we see it, isn't the club anymore. The, that's what I'm saying. The, you the substance that, that was there, the substance that's been there for over a decade, is gone. So what are you and saying? What, you're saying that Chelsea will stop becoming an elite club? That I'm not saying they're going, to be, they're going to stop becoming an elite club, but Chelsea, it's a pretty you know strong it. thing to say. No, death. but it is. I think it is. I think it's, I think it's that what, serious. What? And I'm but, not here... Okay. Wait, so let me just finish. I'm not here saying sack the manager, because that's all from our conversation. I don't think the manager's the problem. Because two years ago, the manager wasn't there. And what was the problem then? It's not the manager, but there's a cultural problem at Chelsea that doesn't allow managers like Antonio Conte to flourish when he should be. You see, you saw last season what he did with a team that had failed miserably the year before and he turned it around. Okay, he didn't have European football and the rest of it, but the way Chelsea are going, that you look at Spurs, you look at Liverpool, you look at City, you look at United to a lesser degree, and there's a reason why Chelsea are fifth. Now, Chelsea might go out of the Champions League next week, right? And Spurs, Liverpool, United and City are all going through. And what does that tell you? Chelsea are the fifth best team in England right now. Well, maybe we are this season, you know. But what I would what I would say is, I think we are entering a different phase of the Abramovich era. I don't know whether where it's going to go. I think we're going to see probably a very different Chelsea team next year because not only will Conte almost certainly not be there. They're going to, if they don't make the Champions League, they're going to struggle to keep Hazard and Courtois this summer. You've got guys like Fabregas and Louise who are towards the end of their prime years if not past them and they've only got a year left on their contract so a lot of the more experienced heads will have been gone and you're building around I mean there's not a huge amount of elite young talent to build around there's I mean you've got the academy guys and we don't really know what we've got there yet because they've not really been given the chance but you've got Christensen and maybe Bakayoko <laughs> we'll see what player he is next season blimey it is the death but, of- that, <laughs> but that's the thing it's a different phase and I think this summer where, where I would agree with you is I think this summer is probably the most crucial summer that Chelsea will have had in terms of rebuilding since at least since 2012, I think, post-Champions League win. Well, it's interesting because, we, we, by the way we're talking about it, we've not only got to rebuild a certain amount of the team, we've probably got to rebuild the management structure and we've probably got to rebuild the, the system that works behind the yeah. squad. And all of that makes absolute sense. But when people come out and say, it's the slow death of Chelsea Football Club, I take issue because that kind of hyperbolic nonsense is what's leading to a fan base that comes to the games and boos the players, that, 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 that shouts on social media that they want to sack the manager after a couple of bad results, that leads to this terrible feeling around the club. And it is the media and it is people like you saying, the slow death of Chelsea Football Club. What you're talking about is a transition into something 
else. And that something else may not be good. And I think Liam's absolutely right about, uh, and you're right about the um, about the, the summer transfer window being incredibly important. Whether it's going to be the death of our club, that's utter nonsense. It's utter crap. I think Chelsea, as you know it, in the last 15 years, it's the death of it. If, if and I'm not, I'm not saying that, oh, Sunday was the death, but if they go to the new camp and they play with that inferiority... But they won't. That's it. The thing is... Well, we we I, don't know. I, we no, don't know. I, so what, we just I, pack up and we no, go home? No, no, I'm not saying that. But I, I thought, I thought, when we were talking earlier about what did you expect when you're going to Manchester, I thought Chelsea have had a week off. City have played twice since Chelsea last played. I thought you'd genuinely see a performance like last season on Sunday. I thought that you'd have the manager drilling those players Monday to Friday on the training ground, getting a system set up, and they turned up and they just conceded. And... I was disappointed in Conte saying after, Look, what do you take me for? I'm turning up to Man City. I'm not going to come here to lose 4 0. I'll tell you I'm exactly what he nil. said. I'll tell you exactly what he said. He said, You have to accept every critic, but I'm not so stupid to play against Manchester City open and to lose 3 or 4 0. A few days ago, Arsenal played twice against them, and then you criticised Wenger a lot because they conceded three goals in only 30 minutes. The pundit has to use the head to understand when you speak about tactics because I think you have the knowledge to speak about tactics and not speak in a stupid way. What he's basically saying is, You caned Arsenal when he left himself open and attacked them. What I tried to do is turn up with something a little bit more pragmatic, uh, play a low block and hit them on the counter-attack. It didn't work, but they were the tactics. Now, the point is, when he turned up with those tactics, I went, all right, fair enough. It worked pretty much well against Barcelona. The problem was he didn't change it. That's the problem. And I think that's what frustrated everybody, is after 60, 70 minutes, you're going, bring a bloody striker on. But those tactics to start with didn't suggest a man that had turned up to to concede at all. Well, this this is the point I say now. I don't think the manager is the issue. I think because the way those players play I think it's it's definitely about the plan the the problem is that he came up with a plan that the players did not execute and also at times players have to put their hands up and be responsible for changing things on the field and they have to find a way to connect to Hazard perhaps or whatever you know Hazard was isolated there I know you thought that he wasn't trying very hard I think you said at one point he was throwing his toys out the pram he was just moaning at players because and I can understand his frustration of the balls going over his head. And he's like, look, I'm this diminutive five foot seven, five foot eight player. What the hell are you pumping the ball to me? Like, I'm Giroud. I can understand that. But you've got, you know, Hazard is, pallet, is, is paid 200 and odd grand a week to be the difference maker. Fabregas is paid 180 grand Nothing a week to, to the be money. the... No, but the reason being is Chelsea... Yeah, I'm not saying that, oh, you're on that money, therefore you should be amazing all the time. But those players are the key players in the Chelsea squad and the players that this squad has been built around for the last four years because they are supposed to be the difference makers that when the chips are down against other elite players, they're meant to have the answers the and they big, didn't have them. One of the big problems that we had, I think, and it's a problem that we've had in, in a lot of the games that we've lost is this lack of transition. You know, and the fact that Kante wasn't playing and somebody mm. said, what, what difference would Kante make? And it's like, well, Huge Kante, difference. well, not only would he be a pressing, we know about his pressing and he's a, and he's amazing ability when he doesn't have the ball to find space he's a brilliant player to receive the ball and help the transition between defence and, and attack and what was what was happening Courtois had no one to pass to in midfield because Fabregas and Drinkwater just didn't have the pace and the, and the awareness to transition out of that so the ball was going 
as you quite rightly said, from Courtois or from the back three, straight up high and easily dealt with by Otamende and Laporte. The transition was an issue. You look at City, they, tris- they transition seamlessly from defence into attack. It's brilliant, you know, but they've got the players to do that. We had Drinkwater and Fabregas, two of the slowest players in the Premier League, who just couldn't transition. And so I could totally understand Hazard's point of view because he just wasn't, he wasn't being allowed to do it. But when we did have the ball, when we did get into a transitional position, Pedro messed it up. And I'm a big Pedro fan. Big Pedro fan, but he did have a he had a bad day. That was panicking. That's how I saw it when yeah, Moses I, got I the ball and had that shot. It was panicking, and that's the point I'm saying about these players is that they're supposed to be elite players. They're supposed to be leaders, not necessarily in the John Terry mold, but they're supposed to be let's, leaders. Yeah, let's hear but what I, Liam's got to say a bit. I think um, I'll tell you one thing. I one thing I understand. One thing I don't understand. The, I understand the way Chelsea set up because it was 10 of the same 11 that played against Barcelona. It was the same system, Bar Kante, which was enforced. Um, and they tried to play the same way. I think the one thing we're missing in all of this is that City, as well as being the best team in possession in the world, were also the best team out of possession in the world. They, Chelsea tried to play the same way, but City were way better than Barcelona were at cutting off all the passing angles, forcing them to kick long towards Hazard, which they knew was never going to work. And I think over time, the Chelsea players just completely lost faith in that strategy because they could see they were getting nowhere. And I mean, when they were, they, when they did actually get over the halfway line, they were so panicked, like you said, and so tired that they made stupid decisions and screwed it up. The thing I don't understand is when City score after 46 minutes, that plan is out the window. It doesn't work anymore. Giroud or Morata should have been on the pitch in the 47th minute. So Conte and said... Got to, because you need to win the game. And he never... From what he said afterwards, he never sounded like he wanted to well, try and win the game. Conte, Conte was asked about why he didn't bring a striker on. He said, we had two strikers on the bench and we tried to change the game with them. But when you play against a strong team, it's very difficult for us to keep the balance from last season with Hazard in the number 10 position. We need to have two players who run a lot defensively. And I think Pedro and William played a fantastic game. I tried to wait because the substitution was with Hazard and you hope until the end that a player like Hazard can invent something but we were unlucky in this aspect I decided to make the substitution I don't know a bit late against United I did it a bit earlier you know I think that's an admission that he got it wrong I mean I don't think there was anybody in, in all the fans that went there and presumably all the fans that watched on TV that wasn't going after 55 minutes or 60 minutes bring a strike on mm-hmm. at least have somebody to hold the ball up yeah. you know and I, it does puzzle me why he didn't it really does puzzle me Okay, well, we're going to have a little puzzle over that and go to an ad break. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Right, back in the room of puzzlement. So why did Conte leave it so late? Do you think he got, just got caught up in the, the intensity of his mind and was worried about what was going on so much that he didn't even notice the time? Because it does seem an odd thing. And he does like his late substitutions, doesn't he, Liam? It has been a running theme with Conte and it wasn't as much of an issue last season because they were generally ahead. You know, they started so strong in so many games that they were generally in control and the subs he was making were more fresh legs or to to solidify things he hasn't shown actually a huge ability at Chelsea in either season to change games that are going against them and last season I think the one ace in the hole was Fabregas who was a brilliant impact player could come on the last 20-30 minutes when he was fresh and, and pick that pass to actually change it but he's been forced to start so many games this season that I, he looks 
completely physically jaded yeah. to me. He's not at this stage of his career. He's not a regular starter. He needs to be a, an impact player. To play devil's advocate on on that question, y- you could argue that at one 0 you're still in the game. You're still in the game at one 0 They only had three shots, Manchester City. I mean, we've got to give at some point some credit to our back three. I thought that uh, certainly Rudiger and Aspiliqueta and Christensen deserved some credit. Absolutely. I thought they were I thought they were great. You know, um, you know, obviously we can talk about mistakes around the goal, but generally to restrict a team like Manchester City to only three shots and, you know, one slightly snidey goal, um, I, th- I think that's a reasonably good job. But at 1-0 you're still in the game. And if you're playing a counter-attacking game and you've got pace going forward, you're one through ball away from, from making it happen. And, yeah. and, and if, he's, if, if, he's genu- if he genuinely believes that at some point you're going to slip the ball through to Moses or Alonso or that Hazard's going to get on the shoulder and you're going to be able to pass the ball through. And to be fair, Pedro had the opportunity to slide that ball in and he didn't. So maybe Conte's thinking, we're, we're literally still in the game here. Mm. you know. And by putting a, putting a, a striker on, we're going to unbalance it. I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate. That's not what I believe, but yeah. that might have been yeah. what, what was going through his head. Gary, Gary is champing no, at the bit. I'm, I'm just laughing thinking about the defenders because... There's certain players that get crucified for apparently bad distribution and bad decision-making in possession. And I just kept watching the game thinking, Aspi, what the hell are you doing passing to Courtois? Christensen, what are you doing passing to Courtois? Rudiger, why are you doing it? Because the guy cannot pass the ball to save his life. Who, Courtois? Yeah, so they were feeding the ball into him all the time. And I I think that goes back to what Liam was saying about about their ability off the ball, Manchester City, to cut the angles But they had options. I don't think they did. I'm not sure they did. I don't think they did. Drinkwater and Fabregas were dropping into into pockets to give them options and they were just going to Courtois. When the goal kicks were happening, this is a point I made, right? I'm not trying to blow smoke up my own ass here right but when Chelsea it's beat Spurs yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing it though no, but, um, <laughs> any attempt w- when, on Twitter would be worth watching when, when Chelsea played Spurs last season and they beat them 2-1 um, Spurs went 1-0 up and they, they they played in a way that I hadn't seen anyone play against Conte's Chelsea at the time and they really pressed Chelsea on goal kicks and my point after that was is Courtois the weak link in this Chelsea side? Oh, obviously, because it was Courtois. No one wanted to listen to the reason behind it. It was, oh, how dare you say this about our Belgian god? You know, because the guy is a relic as a goalkeeper. You look at how um, Edison plays in that Man City goal. At one point, he was close to the halfway line. Are we sacking Courtois now? Oh, I've been saying this all season. Yeah, yeah not, to not be sacking. Fair, he has. He has been. Not, not sacking. The guy, he's a good shot stopper. That is the basics of goalkeeping. Okay, but on the whole, you look at Edison, you look at De Gea, you look at Lloris. You know, you, you look at the goalkeepers that have struggled this season, Czech and Courtois. Why? Because they're so bad distribution-wise. Look at how Arsenal struggle against teams like Man City because the goalkeeper becomes an 11th outfield player and Chelsea don't have that, so they struggle. That is why teams can press Chelsea and all the time, Courtois will just go over the players trying to find the striker because he cannot do anything with the ball. One of the he ad- cannot think for himself. One of the, one of the advantages of, of watching football at the Etihad Stadium as you are bloody high up you know behind the goal so you get a very high view of the of the pitch particularly from behind the goal which is where I was when, in the section I was in and you could see exactly what Liam was saying about about Man City's ability to mark space it was very difficult to find those gaps and, and this is where Kante would have been important because Kante would have dropped picked the ball up transitioned we didn't have anybody well, doing that if you that. have someone with the pace to actually go past someone in the middle of the pitch yeah you can beat that press another way. You don't have to pass around it. You can just beat your man. At goal kicks, Bernardo Silva would stand on one side of the 18-yard box mm-hmm. and Silva would stand on the other side of the 18-yard box and two players would stand on the D. 
and it was like it was a wall and it was like it was basically saying go on pass through us because if you lose the ball we're here we're in your territory it's it's a very bold move by by Guardiola and the point is unless you've got a transition you can't deal with it and we didn't have it but that's why I brought up Spurs because the first team that did that against Conte's Chelsea was Spurs last I don't know but that was it I mean I, I, when, I think you're was. right but that was more of a muscular display that was when Yama and Dembele just just no, but it was, er- was Ericsson and Kane as well and Ericsson got the goal on the back of that mm. when they went one the up two, the 2-1 two yeah, 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 they did it for about half an hour and yeah. then Chelsea managed and then, to pass yeah, around and, the and, then, tired, and then Pedro ended up getting that goal that sort of changed it and Moses scored but the point is is that the players have had that problem against teams for 18 months. They know what teams do to frustrates them. Frustrates me, Gary. It does frustrate me. I just look me. at it and I think... I just think Man City are, are exceptionally you, good at it. Okay, I'm not, I'm not yeah, taking that away I from think, Man City, but yeah, I look but, at it and I think... Yeah. yeah. The whole attitude going into this game from the players, the body language is different. When Chelsea played Barcelona, I was really happy. Like, you know, Liam might understand this a bit differently, but when Hazard came up and did the press conference, like, this is a statement of intent from Chelsea. They've got the biggest name coming out doing the press conference. Yeah, I love he's that, there going, it? we're Chelsea. We're, you know, we can win this because we're Chelsea. They turn up against City and it's like, hmm, well, we don't sort of believe in what the manager's doing, so we're sort of just going to let you have one nil and then we're sort of going to let it be. And it's almost like City were like, okay, mate, we've got our win. We're going to take it easy on you now. And yeah, it, was, well, it was just embarrassing. Yeah, well, and so, the last time, Chelsea, sorry, the last time Chelsea did that was when they drew two all to Newcamp, and Lampard got a penalty in like the ninetieth minute. And I felt just as bad then after that game. And it just this game just sent us back. Like I'm not going. I'm not, I'm not years, having. I'm not having that the defenders had a bad game. I'm not having it. I mean, as Pilicueta's brilliant stop on the line. probably they did well. Well, not probably. But I think they as did a whole, well. There's no all probably. They're all round game. But I thought they were really bad, like every other okay, player. Okay, can we just talk about Christensen? Because I think it's interesting what's happened with Christensen. You know, he he dropped a big one against Barcelona. Then he didn't have a, a very good time against Man U. And then he made the mistake for the goal and made a couple of other mistakes uh, against them, uh, City. But... What I think is interesting is this is a young player who actually up till this last 10 days has not really made any mistakes. Now, quite often you would see a manager in this situation with a young player who obviously the last couple of games, United and City, he's below the confidence we're used to seeing with him. Instead of saying, I'll take you out the front front line, get you out of the fire, you know, just have a rest. You're just a bit knackered. That's all. He's gone, you know what? You're still good enough for this team. I still want you in this side. And I think that's a very interesting way to handle a young player. I mean, what do you think, Liam? Well, I think um, I think a big part of what's happening with Christensen right now is physical. I interviewed him at the end of January and he was saying, this is the first season I've had where I haven't had a winter break. Even in Chelsea Academy football, they break for the winter. So he's just been, not only is there no break, the football intensifies. So he he was really honest in that interview saying that he was his body was feeling the strain. Then he did his hamstring in the very next game um, and missed missed a couple of games. He returned a lot quicker than I expected, actually, from that. And yeah. maybe it's still hampering him slightly. But I also think there's there's just a mental element to he's played so much football and so much high-intensity football with a level of pressure that he maybe didn't have at, at Gladbach. And I think maybe that can take its toll on a young player. Just to your point of Conte keeping him in, I think at least part of that is that there are reports today that David Luiz is out for another month with injury. Um, obviously, his relationship with Conte isn't great anyway, but the way Conte sees it, it's only those two players 
for the centre of the three, or or, or Ampadu, who's even younger than Christensen. So, as well. yeah, injured, exactly. Yeah. So I think Conte genuinely sees Christensen as his only option there at the moment. Uh, that's it. Yeah, no, that's interesting and a fair point. You know, but one thing I would say about Christensen, and credit to the fans, the fans have stuck with him. You know, what I mean, and it's well, they like, have to because they're the ones who are screaming for we need to give youngsters a chance, so they need I mean, to get behind him. If Gary Cahill had made that mistake, you know, or or any of the other so-called senior players have made that mistake, there would have been hell to play. But you know, yeah. actually, he gets a pass. The, pr- the problem with that goal was Alonso. Alonso was ball watching. You know, yeah. I mean, just snuck round the well, back. It's a catalogue of errors, isn't but it? you know, I mean, you know, Christensen heads it into Rudiger. It doesn't get cleared. It gets knocked across the box. I mean, where is Alonso? I mean, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to criticise him, you know, offhand. But you know, if we put in blame at anybody's door, we got to be marking a bloke coming round the back. That's the basics. But you notice as well after that, he was always there. After that goal, he was always there. Yeah. But just just on young defenders making mistakes. Just quick point. Yeah, and Andy's make sure it is. Yeah, no, but Andy's right. Fans standing by Christensen is the right thing to be doing. Yeah, but you look at John Terry when he was coming through. Two thousand two FA Cup final got made to look an idiot by Lundberg, and then look at what he became. Yeah. Christensen has made a couple of mistakes. Anybody's got any doubt about about the qualities and, and future of, of Andreas Christensen? He's just had a bit of a baptism of fire. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, uh, something, uh, another thing that sort of strikes me about the game, you know, this false nine, it's so hit and miss with us. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I just wonder if a false nine system works easier at home because you get more of the ball, more of possession, and you use that false nine in a kind of different way. You know, William and Pedro get the chance to come up alongside Hazard. Whereas when you're away from home, you don't get that time. And actually, you need to have a number nine there occasionally who will have the ball booted up to him because that's all the options are because you're being pressed. And he'll then hold the ball. And I just wonder if, if a false nine, it's harder to make it work well in the way that we did against Barcelona I think, at I home. I don't think it's a system for us that works well when we're on the back foot. You know, when we play the low block and try and break from it. I and mean, when we're on the front foot, you know, when we're, you know, when we're attacking like we did against Barcelona in those early things, when we're actually dominating play, when we're, when we're playing in their half, I think it's great because we've got the creativity and skill to do it. Um, and we can cause havoc and chaos doing it. But when we're sitting back, we just don't have those players in midfield that can transition. I keep yeah. saying it, but yeah. it's just obvious to me. I mean, what do you think is the false nine? It, it works or it doesn't work when you're away from home? I think, and what will we do against Barcelona? I think... It, the the measure of success for Chelsea in a false nine is whether they can get the ball to Hazard's feet. That's the only way it works. If you're trying, you end up playing him as a true nine if you're just whacking long balls up at him and that's that's never going to do anything. In general, good things happen for Chelsea when Willian and Hazard get close to each other and start rattling passes between each other. So that's what they they need to find a way to do that at the new Camp. Otherwise... They, they don't have much chance of, I mean, of winning that game. A team that play a false nine a lot is Liverpool. Liverpool play a false nine a lot, you could argue, is a false nine. Um, but what have they won? You know, where, where are their trophies, really? I mean, they, they flatter to deceive a lot. They, they win some games, they steamroller some teams, and other times they just, they're just not in the game. You know, it's not, I don't think it's a system necessarily that, that works for every team, and it's not a system that works all the time. Use it sparingly, use it when you can get on the front foot, use it when you have to. But use it against a team like... I just thought it was wrong tactically. And I think, you know, Conte's got to own that. Yeah, and, and hopefully, you know, we can move on. I think, I think what everyone wants to know and what everyone wants to see after a week like this is, was this just something that didn't work out for one reason or another? Or is there a big crack and a division between manager and squad? 
I don't, I, I, sorry to, I know you're looking at Liam for the answer to this, and I, I just don't think it's the end of the world. No, that, I don't that's either. That's my point, and that's why I get that's, so. That's why that's, I got so cross with you earlier, Gary, because I just don't think that it is the death. I don't think it is the end of the world. I think I isolation isn't. Uh, no, and I don't. But I don't think that this is necessarily a tipping point. I think that it's been a bad season, and I think that it's it's not dissimilar to other seasons we've had in the past. It doesn't help when we immediately sort of go to this terrible apocalyptic mindset that basically says that this is the end of our club or the end of days as we know it I don't think it is I just think we're that club I think we're the club that will will evolve will will mutate well like Doctor Who there'll be a new doctor along next year yeah. and it'll be something else and if Conte leaves he leaves if he doesn't you know we're the kind of club that will evolve and mutate yeah. we're, we're not going to have the kind of you know the, the solid dynasty of a Liverpool or an Arsenal or a you know Man United in, da- in, day- Man United in days gone by where everything's steady and calm and building it's that's not we're a chaotic club that's what we do I don't think this is the age of dynasties anyway no it is um, no, it's not that has very much passed what you need I think as a modern to be a modern elite club is just consistency of decision making above the coach because even if you would like a coach to be there for seven eight years in the modern world you can't rely on that you need to you need to operate on a model that assumes that a coach might get poached or he might want to go somewhere else or he, players or might, might fail yeah the players might just stop listening to him or yeah. maybe he wasn't very good in the first place so you need they need to replace Emanalo. They need to get some sort of solid structure in place that identifies talent. I mean, they, when was the last time they signed a, a, a really good young player between the, the ages of 21, 25 on the way up? At the last, I checked today, Salah. And at that time, people weren't really talking about Salah in that bracket. Quadrado. He'd had a good He's game against us be, for Basel, wouldn't he? That basically. Yeah, he'd, yeah. Knocked, he'd knocked Spurs out of a competition in, and he played well against Chelsea. Um, but since then, they've stopped developing those players. And you've seen City go out and sign Leroy Sane, Gabriel Jesus. You know, this is the sort of profile of player that when Chelsea were building this team, but the, I think they were signing kind of and they're not making those It's kind of my point anymore. about it being a systemic problem and, and that actually just focusing all your eye on the manager, I think that's just completely missing the point. I mean, yes, by all means, you know, uh, criticise him when he, when he has a game like that, but generally I think he's very well. I think the fans, me included, need to look wider at some of the issues that are surrounding the club. The fact that we're now up against nation states, sovereign wealth funds. Mm. I mean, Abramovich is rich, but he's nothing compared to the money that's coming into PSG or Man City. You know, maybe there's a point that, that, that Roman Abramovich doesn't want to spend that amount of money. He's got a billion pound stadium to build. Well, you he's know, got maybe a there's, divorce as well. There's he? all sorts of things going that along that we have absolutely no overview of. Um, and I just think that this idea that you go on social media and you cane the players and you cane the manager, for me, and, and you use these kind of apocalyptic phrases like the worst performance in 40 years, it just wasn't and it just isn't and it just won't be. And, and, I, and it just makes me cross when, when people just kind of immediately go to that. It just shows a lack of willingness to look at the, the, the systemic problems. Yeah, we've, just, we've just had a few few bad games this season and when they're bad they're really really bad you know? I, 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 I just, just just to add to Andy's point I don't think that the problem is that Chelsea are up against Man City and PSG you know just the stuff we've been talking about tonight I think it's the attitude within the club that, that defeatist attitude I haven't seen that defeatist attitude at Chelsea for a very long time when, when you game. say but who are you, who are you referring to the players the manager everything the whole the, group yeah collectively that's what I'm saying I'm not there going Conte Conte or the players the players I think the players have got a lot more to answer for than the manager the manager got it wrong tactically okay name a manager who hasn't got it wrong tactically you know, and it's, it's very hard when you set out with a major tactic like that, which is basically everyone sit there. And you look, actually, when you look at it, sometimes it's interesting to fast forward a game because you see the shape and how it actually was really, really rigid. Five and four and one. And it very rarely broke up. And 
it wasn't enough. That was the problem. And that is, I think, the one major mistake for, for me with Conte was that at no point did he realise what he was doing wasn't enough to try and compete in the game. Yeah. I mean, the, the, never mind anything else, I mean, you know. I mean, that's dark, what we've got to I try mean, and do. Nobody's hiding from the fact that these are dark days. I mean, Chelsea have lost four consecutive away matches in all competitions for the first time since 2003. You know, I mean, it's like, I mean, these are dark days. I just think that it doesn't solve anything <coughs> to, to get this negative. But yeah. I, I just think that you look at it and you say, Conte got his tactics wrong. Yeah, he did. But at the same time... In order well, no, for they, they were, they for, were right... For what he wanted to do, but they were committed wrongly. To the words that, yeah, I was going to say that the point with a manager, any, any, any manager yeah. can get their tactics right, but if the players don't go out and actually apply those tactics, exactly. then you're in for, you know, yeah. and let's a face whole it, load of. If it had been nil nil and nothing had happened, in Italy he'd be hailed as a hero. But, you know, <laughs> and this, this is where the concern is. And Zerou actually came out with a quote. He said, Our plan was to steal a goal at the end. And I love that because that, that's absolutely what the plan was. Unfortunately, that plan can't work when you're 1-0 down after 46 minutes, 45 minutes. But to, to, to be so, and this is what I'm saying about the players and their attitude, to be so defeatist on 71 minutes, like Liam said earlier, Chelsea went to that game, they needed a win. And you got yeah. Fabregas and the others, oh, they're just well, look, look, let's walking forget up, about it now. We've over-talked this. Let's talk about Palace because you know what? They're really going to get it. Well, can, so I we just, can I just give a little bit of perspective before, before we okay, move on to this point? Okay, we're, but we're running out of time. Oh, Okay, but so, so, you know, we're fifth at the moment. Um, we're five points behind Spurs, six points behind Liverpool. That is not an insurmountable gap by any stretch of the imagination. We've still got to play Spurs. We've still got to play Liverpool. They've got to play Man City and Man United, respectively. You know, there, there, there are a lot of games left for, for them to slip up and, and to pick points up. You know, I, I'm, I'm not uh, defeatist on the level of that. I don't think we won't definitely get Champions League football. I think we're, we're definitely in for a shot. Still in the FA Cup. We've got to play Leicester. They're beatable. We're still in the Champions League. You know, this is not the end of days. It isn't. We're yeah, all disappointed. We're not. Arsenal. You know, we're not, let's not be that club that does that. No, I agree. I mean, how do you feel? You know, I mean, it, it is, feels like another transitional year, doesn't it? Well, I think the the, the killer result um, in, in many ways was... I mean, Conte will look back on Watford and Bournemouth, but the killer result was that defeat at United because the, of the teams in front of them, United were the most catchable performance-wise, form-wise. Liverpool and Spurs are two of the hottest teams in, in Europe right now. Man United only sneaked it last night. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're having to work really, really hard to win all these games. So to, for that to be a six-point swing in that match, now you're in a situation where they're even... seven if, points ahead of us now. Yeah, now, now, it, now you're in a situation where even if you beat Liverpool and beat Spurs at home and be perfect the rest of the way, it might not be enough. And that's not a good situation to be in. It's not ideal, but it's not insurmountable, is what I'm saying. No, it's, it's not. not. It's, it's just a big gap. The as as Andy always says, it's the hope that kills you. We, we, you know, we are in it. It's the hope that kills you season. And, and you know, I, 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 look, I'll try, try to be positive wherever I can. I think that, you know, th- those fans that are kind of giving up and saying, oh man, I wish this season was over. I think there's a lot left to play for. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to every game expecting us to win, being disappointed if we don't, but, you know, hoping that, you know, that other teams drop points. And, you know, I think it's going to be exciting. I think yeah. it'll be exciting. Well, at least we've got something to play for for a change. You know, we haven't walked away with the title, you know, I mean, let's be up. But I mean, then we got Palace coming to our place this weekend. God, how exciting Talking is that? about depressing a gay ga- away games that we lost... You know what I mean? It was yeah. like, you know, well, was we owe them, don't we? Terrible day. So, at the, at, so really, at I mean, are they going to, you know, get our comeback, you know, fight now? 
Jack Gary's shaking his what, head. No, because what? what have Palace done to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in the last couple of seasons? Yeah, no, I know. But uh, you would hope that this is everything that Conte will utilise. Okay, so look, what I, we've got to go because we've got to do uh, get the hell out of here. But um, what are your views? Do you think we'll win against Palace? And if so, what's your score? Is it going to be a tough game? They were unlucky. Yes, they ran out of steam against United. I think Palace are really well set up to play against bigger teams because of the pace they've got. They have a lot of confidence playing Chelsea. It's a derby. And I also think Chelsea might have one eye on the Barcelona game. So I would probably edge towards a draw, I think, than a win. Probably 1-1. OK, Gary, voice of doom. No, because Will I'll, it be ta- another, I'll talk one way, but be like another Andy, little death? Chelsea player, and I expect Chelsea to win every game because I'm a fan and I'm an idiot. <laughs> Chelsea will win 2-0 because You're definitely yeah, one of y- your mind might tell you one thing, but obviously, elsewhere in your body, you feel something different. Don't and want to know about elsewhere. I want Chelsea to win that match, and I'm an, an idiotic football fan. And the idiotic football fan, logic, right? Okay, moving win. on, Andy. I watched the game last night, and I thought the game management was terrible. I thought, you know, with five minutes to go, they still got two men up front, and they're still pushing forward. And and, and against Man United, that was suicidal. And Roy was I, even Roy was even spitting everywhere. I genuinely, I genuinely think that they will come at us. And, you know, when teams come at us and they try f- playing football against us, we love that because that allows us to count. And we are essentially this season a counter-attacking side. I'm confident. 2-0. There you go. Oh, didn't he say 2-0? Okay. I do care. <laughs> anyway, I At least think... we agreed on something tonight. Well, let's... Yeah, well, I love you, know. you Gary. <laughs> no, I do. It's only because I love you. <laughs> oh, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Settle down. You'll be talking about his elsewhere in a minute. Um, <laughs> I think it, this is tailor-made for us to go and have a nice little warm-up. You know, Palace, they were good at home, ran out of steam. They got a lot of players injured. As long as they don't find a way to get Zahar on the pitch, because he always seems to come away from an injury to play against Chelsea and then disappears again so I'm going to go for I'm going to go for 3-0 there I've said it and that's it so yeah that's it we, we, we've run out of steam we've run out of time we're nearly all dead just like our team isn't so you know just remember everyone it's been lovely chatting here today thank you very much Liam thank you very much Gary thank you very much Andy uh, and don't forget we're still alive and kicking come on you blues This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. If you're a large organisation involved in managing, purchasing or making decisions on software licences, you need Livingston. Livingston provides the technology and a large team of experts to help you understand what software is installed on your network, who is using it and whether you purchase the right number of software licences to legally use it. This information can help you make smart business decisions when it comes to renegotiating software licensing agreements with large software publishers like Microsoft, Oracle, IBM and others and when budgeting for software spend. To reduce the cost and risk of managing your software licenses, speak to Livingston today about our managed services. Over 50 multinationals across the world trust Livingston to manage their software licenses. Visit livingston-tech.com for more information. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. 
at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.